Hi everyone, welcome to Ask the Horse Live. I'm your host, Michelle Anderson, Digital Managing Editor of The Horse. Tonight, we're gonna learn what's new in internal parasite control, and the event is brought to you by Zoetis. When it comes to deworming your horses, are you confident you know you're doing it right? Do you know which drugs are right for your horse and when you should be giving them? We used to deworm frequently using a rotational program. I know that's what I did for a long time. But now we're facing parasites that have become resistant to drugs, and there's not a lot of options on the horizon. Are you confused? I still am. So here to help us out are Dr. Martin Nielsen, a researcher at University of Kentucky, and Dr. Kenton Morgan, who's with Zoetis. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Hey, I'm going to start with uh, Dr. Nielsen. Can you tell us about your specific interest uh, and your research? And I know there's a lot of research. So <laughs> um, in uh, equine internal parasites, what, what's your experience in this area? Well, I mean, it's it's been my passion uh, all the way since I was in vet school in Denmark. And, and I'm a horse enthusiast. I grew up... Uh, in a horse world and I'm still in it and you know going to vet school I just developed an interest in, in parasitology for a lot of reasons um, I like uh, you know critters that you can actually see when you talk about them as opposed to viruses and bacteria and and I think there there's a lot of fascinating biology and they keep outsmarting us and I think that'll probably be one of the take-home messages from tonight like you know they you know we will continually be challenged by these parasites and we'll be pondering about how to approach parasite control and what to do and what's right and what's wrong. And, and that's the focus of my research program today. I'm, I'm fortunate to be at the University of Kentucky and have the privilege of, you know, devoting the entire focus of my work life to uh, coming up with solutions for equine parasite control. So I'll leave it with that. Okay. Uh, Dr. Morgan, you're, you're with Zoetis. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience in helping horse owners and farms manage parasites uh, and also the, um, the drug company's role in, in managing internal parasites? Sure. My, my experience goes back to my clinical days, and, and I'm old enough to remember when we were two deworming horses. So I've seen this whole thing change a lot in recent years. And Part of what I do for Zoetis now is to help support our anthelmintic or deworming line of products. So I've learned a lot in that capacity, working internally with the experts that we have on board at Zoetis, as well as with external in experts such as Dr. Nielsen that we have here today. So I've learned a lot myself in recent years. Certainly as a, as a representative of a drug manufacturer, we want to produce quality products, but we want to maintain those in the field in a fashion and use them appropriately so that they're going to last as and be effective and safe just as long as possible. So that's a lot of what I do is help to educate horse owners and veterinarians on the proper use of our products. Okay. To our live audience, I want to let you know that we put together a list of editors' choices of articles and resources from thehorse.com. If you are joining us via GoToWebinar, in the chat box in front of you is a link that you can click on, or you can go to thehorse.com slash deworming resources to find that document. And I want to give everyone a quick review of our Ask the Horse live format, especially for people who are joining us the first time. We're going to be starting with questions that everyone submitted during registration. If you have questions you'd like to ask live or would like a clarification on one of the doctor's response, you can enter that into the chat window in front of you. We're going to do our best to get to as many of your questions as possible. So with that, let's go ahead and get started. And I'm going to start with Dr. Morgan. Jackie in Illinois asked, when should an egg count be done? Should it be done before or after administering the dewormer? So can you start out by explaining to us what those fecal egg counts are and then the correct timing of doing those? So those fecal egg counts, this is what we want to do is what we call a quantitative assessment of how many eggs these, these horses are shedding. And so we do that on an egg per gram basis. So this really gives us a quantitative number. And then in, as we go on through our, our session tonight, we'll talk more about this, but then we can categorize these horses into kind of what we call the 
different ranks, if you will, low, medium, or high type of shedders. And because of that, because of those counts and what that tells us, we will approach deworming those horses differently based upon those counts because that that helps us assess risk for those horses. Now, as far as when to do the fecal egg count, some of that will depend on the age of the horse. We typically don't do a lot of fecal egg counts on real young horses, those horses less than a year of age, because we know that most all young horses are going to be um, infected with roundworms. And so we typically don't do a lot of fecal egg counts that first year. But after that, you know, people ask me, when's the best time to do that? And I typically tell them when the grass is greenest. So a good time to do a fecal egg count is in the spring of the year when the grass is really coming on, or depending on your, your climate and where you live, maybe in the fall of the year, if you've missed that spring window, then maybe in the fall of the year where the grass, we get a little more moisture, <clears throat> cools off a little bit, and we get a little resurgence of the grass. So spring and fall are both a good time. Spring is my preference, but sometimes, you know, we don't get many chances at that. So if you're next to the horse and you've got a chance to get a good fresh sample, take it and we'll do a fecal egg count whenever. But preferably, I like to do it in the spring of the year. Okay. And Dr. Nielsen, do you... If I may, yeah. So, so the, I agree with all of what Dr. Morgan just said. Um, so the question was really whether an egg count should be done before or after deworming, as I understand it. And so, and that's actually an excellent question because you both can be useful. Uh, it depends on what their purpose is. So when you run an egg count two weeks after deworming, you do it to check if the treatment actually worked. And that is of very high importance. And we don't find a whole lot of people actually doing this. So, you know, take home message number one of tonight. Please check the effectiveness of the deworming. And the only way to do it is to run an egg count before and after deworming. It should be about two weeks after deworming. And then you look at the percent reduction of the egg count uh, that Dr. Morgan just described. So the cheap and pragmatic version of this is to at least run the treatment after or the, the sample post-treatment so if you can't afford or, or practically cannot collect the samples both before and after treatment, it's just too much work and the horses are difficult to handle or whatever, they're way out in the field and you can't get to them two weeks apart. You know, which egg count is more important, the one before or the one after treatment? I will argue that in many situations, it's the treatment, is the sample after treatment that's the more important because there shouldn't be anything. The egg count should be zero two weeks after treatment. If it's not zero, then you may have a problem. And that might be the opportunity to go back and investigate with a proper test whether there's any resistance going on. So the answer to uh, Jackie here and for question number one is you can do both, but it depends on what you want to achieve. Do you want to map out your horses as high, moderate, or low account shedders? Or do you want to find out if the deworming actually works? Two different purposes. Okay, so Dr. Nielsen, over my ownership of horses, we've gone from uh, doing the uh, the fecal testing and the, the tube deworming that Dr. Morgan mentioned to the rotational deworming without any testing to now the recommendations is to do the fecal egg counts. And I'm guessing out of all the people out there listening, there are a lot of them who haven't actually had a fecal egg count done. Can you explain why it's so important that you incorporate that in your parasite control program? Yes, I think, you know, the simplest answer is you may find out that you've been deworming, deworming with certain products that just don't work at all anymore. Um, a lot of the people that still use the rotational deworming regimen that you just described, it's still very common. We know this from various surveys that we've conducted over you know, recent years, that that's still a common and very popular approach. You probably treat maybe every other month, you, and every time you use a, use a new product or a new brand name, new drug class. And that was the recommendation in the past. Absolutely, it is not the recommendation anymore. And most importantly, because you know, we have only three different types of dewormer, three different drug classes, 
And for the strong-gel parasites, that are the most common type that we mostly talk about, um, you know, resistance is likely already developed to at least two of three of those uh, different drug classes in, in most farms. So if you're rotating, you're rota rotating between something that works still, and then probably very likely at least a couple times, if not more, within that, uh, you know, six treatments in a year, probably you'll be rotating to something that doesn't work at all. And so effectively, you're actually only treating maybe a couple of times a year. The other four times, you're using something that doesn't work at all, and it's a waste of money, and it's unnecessary. So, you know, you know the starting point is before we, 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 you know, we recommend people to change what they're doing is to test what they're doing. You know, find out if what you're doing is actually working the way you think it is, and the only way to do it is to use those egg counts as, as, as we just described here. And so, so that's number one. Uh, you may be just living on a false sense of security because you have your rotational deworming program in place and you're home safe. Well, there's no way you can know that uh, without actually testing. And so you may think you have the parasites under control, whereas, you know, you don't at all. And then you risk the, you know, disease issues. That's the whole point of this all. We are trying to avoid parasitic disease. That's our goal. We're not trying to eradicate the parasites. It's impossible. I would argue it's been tried for many years, decades even, and the only thing we got out of that was resistance. So we're going to be living with the parasites. Our horses will live with the parasites. We, our goal is to avoid disease. Uh, Dr. Morgan, our next question is for you, and it's from Anne in Florida. And Anne is still doing the every eight-week rotation and having fecal egg counts that are coming back clear. She lives in a tropical area. What's the best deworming program for a horse in a tropical area? Well, that's going to somewhat depend, just like Dr. Nielsen was talking about, on the results of our fecal egg count. And so, you know, depending on when we do those, if she's deworming every eight weeks, um, and she's got zero fecal egg counts, obviously that's good, but she's very likely over deworming. And so what I would do, I'd pull the reins back on that a little bit, and I would look at um, seeing if I couldn't take a fecal egg count a little more strategically with those horses, deworm them in the spring, and then wait a period of time before I do that fecal egg count, probably 60 to 90 days, take another one, assess that, and then lay out a program of what I need to use and when I need to use it. And, and I always encourage people to talk to their local veterinarian about this. Um, not one program fits all horses in all geographical areas. So what she does on her farm in Florida may be different than what the neighbor needs to do just down the road. And so it's important to incorporate their veterinarian in helping them not only do the fecal egg counts and get that information, but then to set up an effective program so that we're we're controlling the parasites, just like Dr. Nielsen said, but we're not over-treating them or over-deworming them and deworming them too frequently. So I think, I think that's really important. And so to say, you know, do it every so many months is probably not appropriate for me to, to give her that information. I know that from what we discussed, she's over-deworming those horses if she's doing them every eight weeks. So let's cut that back and, and consider more of a two to maybe three or at the absolute most four times a year treatment. And there again, based on the fecal egg count results that we're gonna have her veterinarian uh, perform for her. Dr. Nielsen, our next question is from you, for you, and it's from Shona in Manitoba. And she wants to know if there are any natural or non-chemical dewormers that are effective. And we did have quite a few questions about diatomaceous earth, so maybe you can touch on that as well. Yeah, um, so, there, there's a plethora of products, uh, herbal dewormers, natural, you know, plant extracts, flower, fruit extracts and all. Uh, and there is a lot of evidence that, you know, a lot of these plants do contain substances that actually do reduce parasites. So, you know, that is a true statement. The issue is, you know, when you ask about whether some of those things are effective, and that's a whole different question because, you know, these active ingredients that these plants, uh, fruits, whatever, may contain are highly variable. 
And in a lot of these products, there is really no control over what the actual concentration is of the actual active ingredient. And so it's highly variable. And so while there's a lot of promise in a lot of these products, uh, there really aren't a whole lot that are reliably tested. And even though they're tested, there can be a lot of variation between, say, batches. Uh, so one batch, you know, that was harvested at one time of the year, you know, may have a higher concentration of some of these these uh, active ingredients than others. So, so you know, it's a very broad question: Are they in fact effective? I mean, there are there are some effects of some of them, but for the most part, there's just not enough information about you know, what they actually do, how well they work, and, and whether they're consistent between different batches. On the diatomaceous earth, um, that's, you know, we can't have a webinar without at least one question about that. And, it, it, you know, at least if it's on a parasite control, there's always someone who wants to know about diatomaceous earth. Um, these these uh, particles that are, have these, you know, allegedly have these sharp edges that would cut the worms and kill them, um, there's been quite a bit of research done with uh, with this. I have not done it uh, any of those uh, projects myself, but I know of colleagues who have looked into the effect of diatomaceous earth in small ruminants in horses, uh, and there really isn't any evidence that it works whatsoever, uh, unfortunately. And so um, I would not rely on diatomaceous earth as a means for parasite control. Um, there may be some of these other uh, plant extracts that could have a place, um, but you know I'd be, be really highly skeptical about a given product that's that's manufactured and sold as a feed additive uh, because they don't. There are no requirements for documentation for those claims as long as it's not labeled as medicine, but only a feed additive. There's really no way we can know for sure whether you know, those claims have actually been proven. We have a question from Cynthia in our live audience, and Dr. Morgan, I'll, I'll send this one to you. She wants to know about refugia and how they relate to deworming treatment. Sure. The refugia, that's that's a term that, that we use to describe those parasites who are basically removed or not affected by our treatment efforts. So the big you know, one big area of refugia is, of course, in the environment. All those parasite eggs and or infective larvae that inhabit the environment, particularly the pastures where the horses graze. And then another actually internal source of refugia could be considered um, the insisted small strongyle. So many of the dewormers that we use, as, as probably many of our listens, listeners are aware, does not affect the insisted small strongyle stages. There's only a couple of dewormers out there that do. And so there again, they're kind of sheltered or hidden from the effects of, our, of many of our dewormers. And so what we want to do, obviously, by um, our deworming programs is to maintain a very susceptible, if you will, population of refugia, right? Or those organisms that are in the environment that our horses are going to be exposed to as they graze that are still susceptible to many of our products. And so that, that goes into our discussion about environmental management. And, you know, we used to, a good example, let me put it in an example form. We used to talk about treat and move, okay? So we would treat a group of horses and then move them to a new pasture, right? Well, if you think about the refugia issue, that's probably not a good idea at all anymore because now, if we treat those horses, we're going to remove the parasites that are susceptible, right? And now we're going to move them to another pasture. And so the parasites, you know, a very subpopulation, a small subpopulation of parasites that, you know, were not controlled by that deworming treatment, they're going to be in that horse's system and they're going to produce eggs. And now those eggs are going to be shed into the environment. And, you know, that's part of that refugia that we talked about. And now they're going to be less susceptible or more resistant, if you will, to those treatments. So the refugia aspect of that, sometimes that's kind of hard to get your arms around, but we want to actually, we don't, like Dr. Nielsen said, we're not trying to eliminate all parasites because we're not going to get that done. But in the environment, we want to actually do the things that we can 
to maintain that refusia that is still susceptible to our products that we're going to use in the horses. So refusia should be part of the discussion that we have with our veterinarian when they help us set up a program, you know, to control parasites in our horses. And that's most of the parasite burden is outside the horse. The horses, you know, even though they can carry a lot of worm eggs and, and a lot of adult worms, the bulk of all the parasites are not in the horses, they're in the environment. And so that's something we need to keep in mind as we develop programs to help control these parasites. Okay. Dr. Nielsen, we have oh, a if question. I, if, I may, if I may just add quickly. Uh, yes. One significant source of refugia, in addition to the two that Dr. Morgan just mentioned, is you know, horses that are not dewormed. So if you don't deworm the entire herd, but for example, only the high shedders and leave some of the lower ones untreated, there's a significant source of refugia right there. So that's the other point with a whole egg count ordeal is that we may not necessarily treat all the horses every time we decide to at least go and test them. And, and, and we make a smart you know, deworming program by doing that. And Dr. Nielsen, we have a question from Tanya in our live audience. Uh, it's a follow-up to the fecal egg count question. And she wants to know how reliable the testing is. For example, have you ever submitted three samples from the same fecal and have you gotten different results from those? Oh, thank you for that question. That, that, that's, uh, I'm, I'm really happy to answer that. Yes, uh, this is something that we have We've studied a lot in my lab, you know, the variation between repeated counts, how, you know, how precise is a fecal count when you, if you run 10 counts from the same sample, is it going to be 375 every time? And the answer is no, it is not. We're talking biology here. This is a variable measure. We found that it matters actually a little bit what accounting method you use. I don't want to spend the whole time on a lecture on you know, subtle differences between egg counting techniques, but there's a lot of different techniques out there. Uh, and, and we've been working on, on some, some new ones that will reduce some of that variation. Um, so it depends on the egg counting method. Uh, but, you know, when you think of it, you know, you take a, a, a fecal sample, you suspend it in some kind of fluid, you stand there and you stir and then you filter and then you self-sample. There is variation associated with every uh, of those steps. And so, as a rule of thumb, uh, egg counts can vary with plus minus 50% of what the mean egg count is for the given sample. So if we have a, an egg count that's 500 uh, you know, in one count, it could be 250 or 750. Um, and, and sometimes we even see you know, variation stepping outside those boundaries. So it does not mean that egg counts are not reliable. It is just something that we need to take into account when we interpret the result. Um, as, as one of my research mentors always said, you know, Martin, dead worms do not make any eggs. And so by that he meant, well, you know, egg counts should be zero post-treatment. And if they're not zero, we've got something going on. Um, and also, the other thing that we, what we find is that despite this variation, this, this variability of these repeated counts, we do see this pattern panning out in adult horses that some are just always low uh, or even negative, uh, except uh, if they maybe are you know, under some kind of stress influence or immunosuppressed by maybe infection uh, from, from other uh, pathogens, bacteria, viruses, whatnot, but horses that are you know, healthy, and are you know um, on the same farm, not moving around a whole lot, you know tend to just maintain the same level of egg count uh, across time, across several years sometimes. And so despite this variation, we still see this pattern uh, very, very distinctly. And so you know egg counts are very, very useful for that. Um, what they're not as useful for is to determine whether any kind of clinical symptom that a horse may be showing, whether that could be caused by parasites or by something else. And that's because the uh, stages of the parasites that usually cause disease are usually not the adult worms, but rather the migrating or insisted larvae. And larvae are babies or teenagers, if you will. They're not making eggs just yet. And so there's no direct correlation there. 
So to any veterinarian who might have a case where they suspect parasites being part of the problem, my recommendation is always to just go ahead and deworm that horse with an appropriate uh, anthelmintic dewormer. And, and then, you know, and that doesn't mean you have to deworm the whole herd, but you know this horse has some issues, and we think parasites might be a, a part of it. The egg count actually won't tell us anything in that situation. And Dr. Nielsen, you mentioned clinical signs. What what are the the basic clinical signs that a horse uh, is struggling with internal parasites? Well, yeah, I mean, so these clinical signs are very very unspecific, so they could be due to a whole lot of other things that are not parasites. So, you know, it's just, so one has to keep that in mind. But the symptoms are, you know, uh, rough hair coat, weight loss, unthriftiness, um, sometimes colic. We, we sometimes see diarrhea. Um, and, and, you know, those, you know, those conditions can be caused by a lot of, a whole array of other things. So just don't necessarily conclude that just because your horse is, colleaguing or not looking great that it's because of parasites. But, you know, at least one should think about whether parasites could be part of the problem. Dr. Nielsen, our next question is from Christy, who's in Beverly Hills, California, and she wants to know if there are any promising uh, drugs on the horizon to help uh, battle uh, resistant parasites. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'll let uh, Dr. Morgan weigh in in just a little bit because he represents the industry and he may have some exciting insights on uh, products down the pipeline. Um, however, I, I think his answer is going to be, no, we don't know of anything at the moment. I know there's a lot of effort going on in terms of screening potential dewormer candidates um, you know, that might become, to become products in the, in the future, but we have nothing on the horizon there. Um, there's uh, some different research projects going on around the world. Um, I mean, there is actually quite a bit going on with the uh, non-chemical dewormers that uh, one of the previous questions was about. So, you know, stay tuned there. There may be something, you know, exciting emerging there. Uh, in my own lab, we are in the second year now of uh, a study looking into a bacterial dewormer. Some people on the line may remember my Let the Germs Get the Worms campaign a few years ago. We were raising funding to get a pilot study, study up and going and people were very supportive. We got the pilot study done and, and we used that data to apply for a USDA grant that we now got. And we're in the second year out of five. Uh, we've done some uh, in vitro testing, which means testing in the lab uh, against bacteria or against parasites in, the, in petri dishes. And it's looking promising there. There's a, there's a huge step from something that looks great in the lab to it actually working in animals. Uh, but we're going to be doing the first tests in live animals uh, later this summer, so stay tuned. And maybe, but big, a big maybe, um, maybe we'll get something uh, exciting there. Okay. And Dr. Morgan? Yeah, and like Dr. Nielsen said, you know, there, there are no new classes of the traditional chemical compounds that we're used to using with the horses. There are no new classes out there that I'm aware of that are on the horizon. Now, just as was, as was mentioned, we're all the time looking. You know, companies like Zoetis and, and the other major companies that are out there, we're always looking for new compounds, screening these. And many times, you know, what looks good early on, when we evaluate a little further, yeah, it looks like it's going to be able to kill this worm. But then when we begin to look at the safety parameters of those, then it, you know, it fails the mark. And so, it's really challenging to find a product that's highly effective and then very safe in our equine patients. And so with those two criteria, it's pretty tough. And right now, there's nothing short-term out there that's, that's going to be available to us. And, and I could be wrong about this, but isn't there, like with goats, we don't have a lot of options because there is so much drug resistance in the parasites? Um, yeah, small remnants. I mean, uh, it's... Yeah, go go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that is correct. Uh, there are examples of with goats, particularly where you know we have complete failure of uh, anthelmintic treatment, meaning nothing works uh, against uh, a very 
dangerous and pathogenic parasite, the barber pearl worm, that is a blood sucking parasite and is it can really kill the animals. So, you know, it's a very, very uh bad situation right there. And and unfortunately we are heading in the same direction with the horses. You know, year by year. I've been I've been in this business for well, I graduated with my PhD ten years ago, so there you go. Um and so you know, year after year, I see it getting worse and worse uh, it, with the horse parasites as well. Um, we we have reports of resistance to all three dewormer classes, both in strong-jowl parasites and also in roundworms and in, in ascrid parasites in horses. So we're heading in the same direction. Um, our next question is for Dr. Morgan. Trina's in California, and she wants to know if she can uh, deworm her pregnant mare, or does she need to wait until the mare foals? The mare was just covered uh, this spring. Okay. And that, you know, some of the dewormers that are available on the market, you know, have what we call a safe-for-use in pregnant mare or safe-for-use in breeding horse claim, and some do not. And that's right on the label. Um, and again, your veterinarian is, is a great source to help you through that question. Now, typically most veterinarians, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't deworm that mare shortly after she's bred. Um, I personally don't like to treat those early bred mares with anything, you know, about that first 60 days, because that's a very critical and a high risk time of early pregnancy in the mare. And there's a lot of things that can happen. Um, and so we don't want to in any way contribute to that. But um, many of these wormers are safe for use in pregnant mares, but some are not. So you, you, you need to get that down first. And then I would go back to, okay, what's, what's our risk with respect to the season of the year? What we know about, you know, when the high risk time is for our horses with, with respect to parasite. And I would focus more. I would get a safety wormer that I can use in my pregnant mare, but then focus more on the time of the year and the most strategic time to deworm those horses rather than for stage in pregnancy because you know again if we've got a product that is safe we can use it at any time i would just avoid the very early that first 60 days of pregnancy personal preference on my part having done a lot of broodmare work so um, that's probably the only caveat that i would offer there other than that go ahead and 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 look at the the most uh, efficacious if you will periods of the year to apply those dewormers and then just go from there and Dr. Morgan, we have a related question from Dan in Tel Aviv. And Dan wants to know when he should start deworming foals and how often should foals be dewormed? Sure. And, and, and I'll put a plug in for, for all of our listeners, and I'm sure that we have this on our list of documents, reference and resource documents for them. But the American Association of Equine Practitioners, or AAEP, has a really nice set of guidelines for internal parasite control for the horse and they're available to anyone you don't have to be an aap member to access it you can get on their website aaep.org and and get access to these and, and they're just a wealth of information in fact dr nielsen was one of the folks that helped help formulate and write these guidelines so they're they're very up to date and they're, they're very user friendly uh, but with that um and I digress. Repeat that question for me again, Michelle. So what, what recommendations do you have for deworming foals? On, on the babies. We typically mm -hmm. don't like to start on those young ones until they're about, you know, 70 to 90 days of age. So three months is a good rule of thumb. Uh, really no reason to treat them before two months of age. So around two and a half, three months of age, we would give them their first treatment. And remember we said earlier that roundworms are our primary concern in these young horses. So we wanna use something that we know has good roundworm efficacy, and that's typically going to be one of, uh, in the class of drugs we call the benzimidazole, that's fenbendazole or oxybendazole, and then the other one is, is the Pyrantel product. So both of those classes are still quite good for roundworms uh, by and large, So and they're very safe in our young horses. So that would be the first treatment and typically, we want to look at treating those babies about four times that first year of life, okay? So the next treatment's probably going to be, we'd like to plug that in a little before weaning, because we know weaning is a stressful time for them. So we want to deworm them probably, if we can, maybe two to four weeks or so before weaning is another really good time to deworm those youngsters. 
And then after that, you know, probably around, oh, nine and 12 months of age, something like that. Um, and there again, the first, certainly the first six to eight months of life, we're really, really focused on the roundworms. And then as they begin to approach that um, 12 months or true one year of age, we're going to start to not be quite as concerned about the roundworms and shift now our attention more to the small strongyles and even start thinking about um, tapeworms um, perhaps at that age. So that's kind of the, the, the progression, if you will, of how we look at deworming those babies that first year of life. Okay. And Dr. Morgan, I want to thank you for pointing out the AAP guidelines. We've just posted that in the chat for our audience. There's a link if you want to go look at those. If you have joined us uh, via your computer, uh, you can take a look. Uh, our next question is for Dr. Nielsen, and it's for uh, Marianne in South Carolina. It's another young horse question. She wants to know if young stock should be dewormed more often than older horses and if you have any specific recommendations for for those young younger horses so older than foals but not quite adults yet yeah um perfect i mean uh, following on, on on dr morgan's uh, very nice uh, description of how you should approach uh foals as they grow through the different parasite phases once you know we have a yearling uh we for the most part have the ascrets behind us However, we do sometimes see a yearling uh, or two pop up with a positive ascorid egg count, and that is important to keep an eye out for. So here, so here is a point uh, or an argument for egg count in this age group because ascorids uh, or around worms, if you will, you need some uh, certain types of dewormers for those, and, and then you need completely different dewormers for the strongyle parasites and for the tapeworms. So we got to know whether we have to still think about and roundworms or not in this age group. But yes, the answer uh, to Mary Ann's question is, yes, young stocks should be dewormed more often than older horses uh, for a number of reasons. They are still developing their immune system. They are more susceptible to parasite infection. They tend to have both higher egg counts and higher worm burns. Uh, they are more at risk for parasitic disease. The most likely age range to actually see uh, disease caused by parasites other than the roundworms, uh, but strongyles and tapeworms uh, is in the one to four-year-old uh, age range. So yes, they should be dewormed more often. Um, in I think in the guidelines we said that think about a yearling or two-year-old as your high egg-shedding uh, adult horse. So depending on uh, climate, the extent of the grazing season, how long are they actually uh, you know exposed to parasites? You know, some of those yearlings and two-year-olds, you know, should probably get three treatments, if not four, depending, uh, again, on how long the grazing season is. The starting point for treating these, this age group is uh, strongyle control. So we're looking at a macrocyclic lactone group. So that's ivermectin or moxidectin. Um, there, we know that that drug class is the most likely to work well against strongyles. Uh, keep in mind, tapeworms, uh, there are differences in terms of habitat uh, in some areas of uh, the United States, the world for that matter, uh, we have a better uh, habitat for the intermediate host, which is a dung mite. So the mites like it to, you know, moist, uh, green, um, and with a lot of organic matter in the, in the soil. If we don't have that, then maybe there won't be as many of those mites around, and then there won't be as many tapeworms. So there are some regional differences there, but certainly think about tapeworm control as well. Not for every single treatment, but uh, certainly uh, towards the end of the grazing season. Okay. It sure seems and like there's... Check your efficacy. Huh? Oh, I was going to say, it just seems like there really is this kind of secret... Uh, world in our pastures of all these things uh, between yeah, the, yeah. the parasites and the mites and um, thing, things that we just don't see on, uh, with our own eyes, but they're there. Um, our next question is for Dr. Morgan, and it's from Pat, uh, who's in North Dakota. And Pat owns a senior horse and a senior mini, and she wants to know if it's safe to deworm and vaccinate your horse on the same day, or is it too much at one time? Short answer for me on that is yes, it is safe to do that all on the same day. And of course, we've done that for decades. Um, and, and you know, from a clinical perspective, there's there's no additional risk that we're aware of by 
incorporating both a deworming and a vaccination on the same day. I, I think Dr. Martin's labs actually looked at that, you know, in a in a yeah. controlled setting. And so I'd ask him for any additional comments you might have on that. Yeah, so we we uh, we evaluated um, this question actually. This very question, we had the same thoughts. You know, is it is it okay, or do we see any adverse reactions uh, in terms of inflammatory reaction? And how about the uh, deworming efficacy and the vaccine efficacy? You know, do they actually interact or counteract each other somehow? And we found absolutely nothing. Uh, you know, we didn't see any negative or positive effect for that matter. There was no interaction between deworming and vaccination in, in these horses. So, you know, it's, I think part of the question is also whether one should be concerned about this, these two being senior horses uh, or equids, uh, to be precise. And I don't think so. Um, if they're healthy and in good body condition, I would not be worried. Um, and, you know, one thing that we have found in other studies is that some of the seniors tend to have a little bit higher egg counts. Uh, they may be a little bit more susceptible to parasites, so it's important to think about parasite control, but we ha don't have any evidence suggesting that they would react, um, you know, negatively to, to vaccination and deworming at the same time. So, Dr. Nielsen, you know, a lot of our senior horses have uh, other issues like Cushing's disease, PPID. Uh, does that lend the horse to be more likely to have an internal uh, parasite burden? Yes, we know from uh, uh, actually a couple studies. Uh, one uh, I did here with uh, Dr. Amanda Adams, who specializes in in geriatric horses here at the University of Kentucky and uh, in these different metabolic uh, issues that they may have, that yes, they do tend to be a high setter. Um, so, you know, they would probably require a little bit more attention uh, with regard to parasite control because they tend to have high egg counts and therefore they are contaminating the environment more than some of the younger horses may do. Um, we do not have any evidence suggesting that they may be more at risk for any disease, um, but you know, that that is of course possible. So certainly, you know, we should keep some attention to these horses. Okay. Dr. Morgan, I'm going to give the next question to you. It's from Justine, who's in Salem, Oregon, and she wants to know if it's okay to use ivermectin as a primary dewormer throughout the year. Um, short answer. It depends. <laughs> you know, so many of these today, we, we kind of start out with that preface. And so, first of all, I need to know what's the age of that horse. You know, are we just talking about belt horses or are we talking about young horses? Because we've already alluded to the fact that in young horses, roundworms are a primary concern. And, and we know that, you know, as an example, ivermectin and moxidectin are that microcyclic, macrocyclic lactone class of products. They're not, they're not our number one choice for roundworms. They're not as efficacious as the other products are for roundworms. And so that's the first thing we need to know. So if, if, if these are all adult horses and we know their fecal egg count status, let's say we've got two or three horses, we've run fecal egg counts on them and they're pretty much what we would consider low risk horses, low shedders, low risk horses. Then probably using macrocyclic lactones such as ivermectin and or moxidectin a couple of times a year, a good spring and fall, routine is probably going to be just fine for those animals. Um, in the fall, as Dr. Nielsen already alluded to, we're a little more concerned about our tapeworm control. And so in the fall, I like to incorporate something in with that. You know, and this, this the long name for that drug is called Proziquantel, but any of the products like Quest Plus or Equimax, those kinds of, of uh, the Plus and the Max and those kind of things, that alludes to Proziquantel. That's an added ingredient we have to put in these products to get the tapeworms because all of our, our, our normal, what I would call our, our normal classes of dewormers, they won't get the tapeworms. So we have to add a special um, ingredient, if you will, to get the tapes. And so in the spring, you know, she could go with ivermectin. And in the fall, ivermectin plus Proziquantel and or incorporate Quest, which is moxidectin, another member of that same class of drugs and probably do an excellent job with those adult horses in that fashion. But there again, we want to predicate that on fecal egg counts. So, you know, get, get the fecal egg counts done on the horse and then we can tell you exactly um, what the best.
best approach is. So, Dr. Morgan, is there any time that you would only deworm with a praziquantel, or is that an option for people if their horse is only, um, if tapeworms are the only concern for their horse? Um, well, you know, praziquantel, just that drug doesn't come by itself. We've, it's, it's in combination with, with our other compounds, you know, like ivermectin, moxidectin, right? So it doesn't come by itself. So it's always in combination. And there again, I think, you know, there's been work done to demonstrate that, you know, tapeworms are pretty prevalent across the entire United States in horses. And so I think it's a good idea. And we've already mentioned the fact that most of the routine fecal egg counts we do, the tapeworm eggs are not going to show up. You know, we, we can get a good appreciation for the other um, parasite eggs, typically that we've talked about, but not the tapeworm eggs. That takes a special technique to identify those. And so doing that, again, either at the end of the grazing season that was uh, mentioned earlier, and or if you're in more temperate climates, you know, in the fall, after it starts to get cold, we've got a, a freeze, uh, a good hard frost. That's a really good time to consider uh, deworming for tapeworms with an ivermectin plus praziquantel or a moxidectin plus praziquantel uh, type of product. Okay. If, if I may. Yeah. Uh, so we, I believe we have an international audience uh, tonight, or for some people, it may be in the middle of the night. So, you know, as a foreigner uh, and non-American, I just wanted to add that in other countries, Prosecanto is actually available by itself in uh, an equine product. Uh, for example, in Denmark, where I'm from, and I know in many other European countries. So it is an option in other countries to get a drug that only treats uh, tapeworms. And there could be situations where there's really no argument for treating uh, the roundworms, the nematodes or strongyles, whatever you want to treat, but you only want to treat those tapeworms. Uh, and so I actually think that's a deficit in uh, here in the US, uh, too bad. Um, and it actually does make, um, you know, gives you one more option. However, I also want to mention that we do have the double dose of the Parentel Hamweight uh, product. That's your double strongit. It's very effective against tapeworms. It actually is just as effective as any other Prosequantel uh, containing products. And so that's another good option for tapeworms. And, and so there may be situations where uh, strongit type products don't work as well against the strongyles anymore, but it's still an excellent tapeworm drug. So there you go. Uh, here's your standalone tapeworm treatment option, even in the U.S. Okay. And I would mention that, that for that use that Dr. Nielsen alluded to, that that would be considered an extra-label use of the strongid. So you won't, on, in the U.S., for the strongid, you won't see tapeworms on the label, you know, as, as it's effective against. So that would be an extra-label use. Uh, but we know that increasing that dose is effective. But there again, it's good for those types of treatments to have your veterinarian in the loop and, and help direct you with that. Yeah. But it's uh, actually on the label in Europe. Huh, interesting. So, yeah. and, and Dr. Nielsen, uh, moxidectin came up, and I do have a question from Jude in Australia about moxidectin. Uh, Jude wants to know if moxidectin causes colic. Um, Jude says that there are many anecdotal stories uh, that he's heard about uh, it not uh, about moxidectin being uh, related to colic. Can you talk about that a little bit? Um, we, you know, deworming in general uh, on a very, very large population um, has been shown to, uh, you know, lead to a slight increase in the risk of what we call post dosing colic. That has been shown, but that's for deworming in general. It is not associated specifically with moxidectin. Uh, in fact, we have done a number of studies uh, in, here at University of Kentucky, again, evaluating any kind of adverse reaction to both moxidectin, but also a number of other products. Uh, we looked at the inflammatory reaction, uh, both locally, in the intestinal walls, in the blood, uh, in horses, and we find we actually struggled finding any reaction to moxidectin whatsoever. Uh, it, it really, you know, there's, there's a couple of studies that even seem to suggest that there's less reaction 
following moxidectin treatment than some of the other dewormers. So there really isn't any evidence behind uh, incriminating moxidectin. I, I, I hear these rumors as well. Uh, I, I don't, I, I, you know, there is no evidence behind it. Okay. Um, Dr. Morgan, our next question is from Patricia in Florida, and she has a four-year-old thoroughbred that is racing and installs most of the time. What is a good uh, parasite control program for this mare? Absolutely. That horse, before they go into that racing environment, I'd like to really give them a good broad spectrum anthelmintic before they go in there, you know, such as a, you know, an Ivermectin Plus or a a Quest Plus type of product where we're, we know we're, you know, we, we've basically got everything, right? Um, particularly something that gets the insisted small frangia like Quest or Quest Plus. Then having said that, once they're in that environment where they're at the track and we all know that the manure management of the track is excellent. You know, they do a good job cleaning those stalls. Those are going to be what I consider a much lower risk horse. And so we're typically not going to have to deworm or need to deworm that horse on a very frequent basis. There again, it doesn't negate the fact that we should still do a fecal egg count on that animal and get an idea, is it a you know, low, medium, high type risk of animal to direct us. But in that environment, their exposure to parasites in, in, that, you know, in the stall, out where they're worked and washed and all that is very low. And so... From that perspective, that's really good. So in general, that horse in that environment is going to be a pretty low risk of exposure type animal. And so we're not going to typically need a real intensive type of deworming program there again, depending on how long they're in that environment, maybe a really good spring fall type of program for that animal, but based on that fecal egg count as well. So we want to incorporate that information. Let's say we do a fecal egg count. And this horse is, is you know, very much a, a real high shed or, or higher risk type of animal. We may have to then modify that just a little bit. But in that environment, when it comes to parasites, it's good for the horse and bad for the parasite. So that's that's in our favor when we're in that type of environment. And so, Dr. Morgan, you've brought up an important aspect of this that we haven't really uh, gotten into during the past hour, and that is about uh, manure management and its relationship with parasite control. So Dr. Nielsen, can you touch on that a little bit and talk about why manure management is so important? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and so the, the manure is the source of infection. So, so that, is, that is pretty clear. Uh, and so if we just spread that out somehow on pasture where horses are grazing, we are spreading the source of infection. Now, a very important uh, part of the horse's um, defense mechanism against parasitic infection is their grazing behavior. So they are actually avoiding the contaminated areas uh, by themselves. So if we disrupt that by dragging and spreading the manure, or if we are just, you know, emptying the stalls, cleaning out the stalls, and just spreading the manure out on pasture directly, you know, well, then we take away that first line of, of defense against, against being overloaded by parasites. So that, that in itself is problematic. So the good news is uh, that composting is extremely effective. And and there's been some work done by one of my colleagues here at the University of Kentucky, uh, Dr. Mary Rossano. Uh, she found that a core temperature of just 40 degrees Celsius, uh, for all you Americans, that's about a little over 100 Fahrenheit, um, for just six days. Um, was enough to eliminate both ascarid, uh, so roundworm eggs that we actually consider, you know, highly environmentally resistant, and also the starn jowl eggs. Uh, she did not look at tapeworm eggs, but I would bet that, you know, they would be gone as well. They were eliminated completely. And 40 degrees Celsius, 100 Fahrenheit, uh, even on a sunny day, um, you know, just as a surface temperature, you know, you very easily, right there in the sun, you get you get to that uh, level of, of, of temperature. And so it doesn't take much in terms of biological uh, activity in the pile before you, you reach those temperatures. In fact, in, in most effective composting, you, you easily get, you know, to even higher temperatures. 
So there's an easy way to eliminate the source of infection in, in the manure. And then you have a very, very, uh, you know, an excellent source of, of just nutrition, uh, fertilizing for the, for the pasture. And, and so, you know, it's, it's biological, it's, it's organic, um, and, and it works. And our uh, web producer, Jennifer, is just about to share a link with resources for composting uh, on the chat. If you've joined us via GoToWebinar, I would say that uh, composting is an excellent reason to buy a tractor. <laughs> so if you need an excuse to yeah. buy a tractor, you need it for your parasite control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Dr. Morgan, our next question is for you, and it's from Mickey in California. And Mickey wants to know, what should you do if you want to deworm a horse who has not been dewormed for years? What precautions should you take? Or if the horse has an unknown uh, parasite control history, what precautions should you take when you treat that horse? Sure. You know, the first thing I do, and I know we we, we continue to, to talk about this, but it, it just enforces the importance of it i think and that's just a, i would always start with a fecal egg count with a horse with unknown you know history on deworming and all that just start with a fecal egg count and get that baseline okay because that's going to help direct us going forward right in 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 how intensely we're going to need to manage this particular animal so once i've done that fecal egg count and you know depending on the results hey if if it's very very low or zero i, I may not worry about an immediate deworming of that animal. You know, I may give it some time and maybe do another fecal egg count in a few months and evaluate it then because if that horse is coming in, we, we don't know. Maybe it was dewormed before we got that animal. But regardless, if if we don't know the status on this horse, really, if you look at those, all the products that are out there on the market and the comments from Dr. Nielsen regarding safety, I know many people are worried about safety in these animals that have, you know, maybe haven't seen a dewormer for a long, long time or or we don't know if they've ever seen a dewormer. But obviously all the products are safe. And you know that's been demonstrated by a lot of work by the, the companies that manufacture those. And so um, there again, depending on the fecal egg count result, and then what's the age of that horse? You know, is it a, is it a, a very mature horse? I'm probably gonna go in with a product um, because fecal egg counts, you know, we don't, it cannot evaluate the insisted small strong jaw form that we mentioned earlier. and Many adult horses, even though maybe there's no or very few eggs in the stool, that's not a reflection of whether they do or don't have insisted small strongyles, right? So I would probably want to be interested in starting with a very complete product that's going to get the insisted small strongyle, you know, a, a really what I would consider a broad spectrum type of product. Moxidectin does that. Um, we know that the Panicure Power Pack product has a label claim. For the insisted small strongyle, you know there are some resistance concerns, issues with finbendazole as well. So there again, depending on that area, you know, and I always like to default to incorporating your local veterinarian with some of those decisions. But if I were to make that call or make that suggestion, I would probably look at a Quest or Quest Plus type of product where it's very broad. It's going to get you know everything in that horse's system including the insisted small strongyle. So that's probably where I would start. I don't know, Dr. Nielsen, if you have any additional comments to that, but that's, that would be my approach. I, I think we're running out of time, but I, you know, essentially I think that, that's, a, that's a decent approach. And Dr. Nielsen, we are uh, just at, at six, uh, but I did have one question that we've had several people in the, in the live audience ask and, and also during registration. And that has to do with if, if your vet doesn't seem like they're up to date on the current recommendations for parasite control, uh, what recommendations do you have for those horse owners about opening that dialogue with their vet and getting uh, sound advice going forward? Yeah, I mean, um, I, th I think horse owners, all of your horse owners out there, you have the power. I mean, you're the customer, and I think your veterinarians are aware of that. So if you request a certain service, you know, I can guarantee you your vets are going to try to, you know, to provide that. Um, 
And I say, I say the same to veterinarians, you know, if you have skeptical horse owners, they don't want to listen to you. They don't want to hear this whole story, all this stuff about it counts and resistance and whatnot, you know, and, you know, and then what do you do? Well, my advice to those veterinarians is, you know, uh, when they, when, when the horse owners are telling them how they're using their rotational deworming program, my, my number one question is just, all right, so how do you know if it works? And, and so, you know, the starting point is egg count. And I, I assure you, there are lots of veterinarians out there that are, you know, getting, they're updated on, on these matters. They, they know how to interpret the egg counts uh, and, and they know, you know, they can help um, getting it done. But um, different vets will specialize in different areas. There are some vets that are, you know, excellent at orthopedics or reproduction or, you know, internal airway problems and whatnot. I mean, so you got to just find those veterinarians that decide that they want to specialize as one of their specialty areas in parasite control, and, and they're out there. Okay. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time tonight. I want to thank Dr. Nielsen and Dr. Morgan for joining us and giving some great answers uh, to our parasite questions. Uh, Dr. Nielsen, I always enjoy talking about parasites with you because it's always much more interesting than I think it's going to be <laughs> as a horse owner. It is. It's the coolest thing in the world. You know, you just go to, you have to realize it. Yeah. So, um, so thank you, Dr. Nielsen and, and Dr. Morgan. Um, also, I want to thank our sponsor, Zoetis, uh, and to everyone who submitted questions and listened live. We couldn't do these events without you. I hope you join us next month. We're going to be talking about how horses learn and behavior modification. Until then, from all of us here at The Horse, I hope you have a great night. <laughs>